Hey everybody, it's Linnea with Getting High from True Crime. I hope everyone is having a great Friday. Um, <clears throat> I know mine's been entertaining so far. I'm actually uh, staying home with my youngest. She's not feeling well today, so I am missing work. But uh, I guess it gives me a chance to get this done ahead of time, so that's awesome. So, today on episode number four of Getting High with True Crime, uh, we are going to discuss the story of the murder of Don Shaw. So, this one's um, and one that was brought to me um, by a, a lady I know. Um, she has a very close connection to this one, so I'll kind of discuss um, a little bit about that at the end, or in the middle somewhere. <clears throat> if I feel it's relevant. Sorry, I'm taking a drink of my Pepsi. Anyways, uh, so here we go. On October 24th, 1992, about 7.30 p.m., Carol went outside to call her children in for the night. Ten-year-old Anthony and four-year-old Robin were the only ones of her three children to respond. Dawn, only six years old, was missing. Very quickly, neighbors and police were out looking and calling for the missing six-year-old. Unfortunately, only a half hour later, the nude body of the little girl would be found nearby. Dawn had been found in the wooded area behind the school, which was right next door to the housing complex that she called home. Dawn's body, stripped nude, showed lots of bruising on her neck and torso areas. There were dirt streaks on parts of her body and an obvious diamond pattern on her face. Her neck, uh, sorry, her death shocked the province with how horrifically she had died. The shock then increased later on when everyone learned who the police ended up arresting for the crime. <clears throat> it had been the Shaw's 15-year-old next-door neighbor. The 15-year-old boy was well was a well-known kid in the community. He was one of the school's sport on one of the school's sports teams, and he was commonly requested as a babysitter in the community, used by many different families, um, including uh, Dawn's family. At the beginning of the search for Dawn, before she was discovered, no one, not even the police, had known of the 15-year-old's prior criminal history. Um, I should say... Did that not say... Yeah. Um, his mom... His mom actually knew, and that's who he was living with at the time. Um, but she kept that to herself. Uh, to... So, his previous criminal history, that he had previous sex offense charges in regards to incidents with two very young children, ages four and five. In fact, because of this knowledge was lacking, there was no way to know, uh, to know uh, that when Carol had asked this boy to watch her other two children while she looked for Dawn, that this kid had taken her daughter away forever. This knowledge had been kept from the community due to a change in the justice system known as the introduction of the Young, uh, young Offenders Act. His previous crimes were kept hidden because of the rules to the privacy written into the Young Offenders Act. Though his mother was well aware of his history, uh, she kept that information to herself. She even allowed him to babysit young children in the neighborhood. So knowing this, she still said, yeah, it's okay. You can go babysit the neighbor kids. Like, I love my kids, but if they were to ever do something as heinous as what he was previously charged with, there's no way in hell 
I would be letting them around young children. Um, that's not okay. And it's just so wrong on so many levels. At first, police suspected. Uh, I skipped too far. <laughs> Sorry, computer problems. Anyways, uh, at first, um, police suspected the man who had found Dawn's body of being her killer. But after a bit, police learned of the boy's previous crimes and quickly went to the boy's family townhouse to question him. The boy stated that he had been playing hide-and-seek with Dawn and some other children around 7.30 p.m. He said he didn't play long, and maybe only about 10 minutes or so, and after which he went straight home. After police left, his mom directly asked him if he had done it, to which he completely denied it. He said he didn't kill the little girl. Four hours later, police returned to the, uh, to the boy's house with a warrant in hand. They collected the boy's clothes from the previous night, um, and they also collected his shoes. They also asked the boy to do a polygraph test, to which he agreed. Two months later, the boy was flown out to take the three-hour-long polygraph test. During this test, he was asked nine times in various ways if he had killed Don Shaw. The boy denied it in every one of those nine times. Um, so, with the results of the polygraph um, determined by the polygraph examiner was that he had been telling the truth. A few weeks later, police confronted the boy and his mother with the forensic evidence uh so the results from that um from collecting the clothes and the shoes uh they were there was plenty of transfer evidence from the boys clothes on dawn and vice versa the forensic analysis of the shoes proved that the tread pattern matched perfectly that to the one of the diamond pattern on dawn's face the boy was then asked to tell the truth the boy agreed to but asked that his mother stay in the room and he stated that he had walked with Dawn across the playground and into the woods behind the school. He then removed her clothes and forced her to the ground where he then proceeded to sexually assault her. He then began to choke her and when, when he started to hear people call out for Dawn. So she wasn't even dead yet when they started searching for her, which is so sad because everybody's so close by. And they had no idea. Um, when that didn't work, he started to jump on her, allowing his full weight of his large body to come down onto her small frame. He even took the police and showed them what and where it all had happened. So there's a he had, they did a video recording of him leading them where all he had taken her and how and what he had done. After assessing the case for almost a year, the trial was moved to adult court and the public was finally allowed to learn the name of the boy. It was Jason Kamash. On April 6, 1994, Jason was convicted on first-degree murder and sentenced to the life in prison with no chance of parole before 10 years. Jason's previous crimes had consisted of the assault of a five-year-old boy in March of 1991, where he forced the young boy to put his... Jason's penis in his mouth and the attempted assault of a four-year-old girl in April of the same year. The little girl had refused and he had let her go. But eventually both of the children ex 
told their parents what had happened and that hence he was uh, charged with those crimes. In November of 1991, Jason had pleaded guilty to the two charges against him and in return received a sentence of 24 months probation and ordered not to be in the company of children under the age of 12. He was also ordered to attend a treatment program for adult sex offenders, which he did attend. So these two, he was charged with those two crimes well before he moved to Courtney, B.C., where this all took place. So these were prior. This is that prior history I was talking about in the beginning that his mom failed to let anyone know and failed to comply with his conditions of release, um, not being allowed to be around children under the age of 12. And here she is allowing him to go babysit children under 12. Like, give your head a shake. <laughs> Seriously. So after his conviction and sentencing with Don's murder, uh, Jason did go to prison, uh, but later died in prison from what was first thought to be a suicide, like a hanging, or that he may have been killed by a fellow inmate because he molested or murdered a child, because you know that whole code of ethics among the criminal people. Um, later, after a coroner's inquest, it was found to actually be an accidental death from accidental hanging during the act of performing autoerotic asphyxiation. And for those who don't know what that is, um, there's people out there that enjoy being choked while masturbating. And sometimes that can go wrong <laughs> and you can actually end up accidentally killing yourself. Um, so... That's what happened to Jason Gamash. So in a way, you could say he would kind of end up where he needed to be if, you know, doing what he did. I don't think he would ever have, what's the word I'm looking for, rehabilitated necessarily. Um, he definitely had a serious problem. So I don't know if that's something that could have easily been dealt with. Um, I guess we'll never know. But um, unfortunately, this little girl had to die in the process of getting this guy off the streets. So that's not okay. Um, when I mentioned that it, it was a woman that I know that let me know about this case, uh, she was actually one of those children playing in that complex that night. Um, so she, there's a lot of these key things that she remembers through this whole ordeal. Um, and actually when I was writing the episode, I kind of threw it at her and said, hey, go over it, check it. Is there anything I'm missing? Anything I need to fix or correct? And so we, she gave me some edits to do, and I have included those. Um, so yeah, thanks Kayla for the, for the feedback on this story and bringing it to my attention. Um, I do vaguely remember um, when I was in uh, school hearing about this one because we used to listen to the news while we watched supper and stuff a lot. So you'd hear about things. Um, but I do vaguely remember hearing about this, but I never really heard a lot about it. So it was kind of interesting to learn the backstory and the history of it and what actually happened. Um, and sometimes I think that's why we do these things as podcasters. We always have these interests and it's kind of nice to flush out that 
thing. Like you've always been like, oh, this case sounded kind of interesting, but I don't really know anything about it. So then you start diving into the research for it and you start realizing it's either way more messed up than you ever could have thought. Um, or it's, it wasn't exactly how it had been originally been portrayed to you. Um, that there was a lot of twists in it that you, you had no idea about. So sometimes those, those facts are interesting to learn. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, me, just me. Uh, I'm not even high tonight. So today it's, uh, a sober episode, <laughs> which is fine. That is perfectly fine. Um, just cause it's called getting high with true crime doesn't mean we have to be high all the time. But, uh, yeah. So anyways, if, uh, you guys, enjoyed this episode had any questions or tidbits that you might know about it feel free to reach out on facebook and uh on we have uh there's the facebook page there's also a facebook group now um getting high with true crime podcast uh you're free to join it's a nice safe community people can talk interact um it doesn't have to be crime related either you can just be Hey, I had a major win today or whatever, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Just feel free to come interact and be a part of that group. Uh, and yeah, share, like, you know, subscribe. Uh, I did put it up on the third episode is up on YouTube right now. Um, for those that maybe don't have access to like your typical podcast form, uh, platforms. So if you feel the need or want to try, you are welcome to check it out. I will warn you now, there's no graphics with it. There's no video of me and Melissa. It's just literally a black screen because I'm learning and I am learning slowly. <laughs> so, uh, That being said, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Uh, it's supposed to be not too horrible here in Alberta this weekend. So probably going to go try and get some ice fishing in before we have to pull the shacks off the lake. If it keeps up the warming trend that it's getting, we are going to have spring sooner than later. So I will be sad because I will have no fishing time on the ice, but that's fine. I'll have to move on to real normal fishing in a boat or off a dock or a shore or something. But I'm definitely going to be doing that this year. So have a great day. Yeah.